0: Hey, so if today is your first day with us or first day with us for this series, I should warn you up front. It's, you're going to be coming in on the end of a movie today, and here's all I mean by that. We teach in series here, which is a little unusual maybe for if you've been around churches around here. But here's basically what a series is. The only way I know to describe it when people ask me, what do you mean? Is I, in essence, will write a two-and-a-half or three-hour sermon and quickly realize nobody wants to sit and listen to me that long. And so I break it up into four or five parts to make it a little shorter. I'm sure you wouldn't mind if I broke it up into eight or ten parts to make it even shorter, but we're not going there. So so we're coming in on the end of a big, long sermon, okay? Big, long sermon, which means this is going to be really application-heavy. We've dived into the topic, and we've dived into what the writers of Scripture have to say about a lot of this. And today's going to be primarily about application, but... If you have missed and you find a day interesting and you want to catch up, you can go to lovesexdatingseries.com. You can find all these messages and watch them. They're all right there. If you're married, remember there are dates here. They're already planned out for you. And these dates will help you have some great conversations. So don't forget to go download those. And uh, if, you, if you've got teenagers, maybe you want to pay your kids to watch this or a college student, you know, grandkids, whatever the case may be. But all of the messages of this series are gonna be right there. The basic premise or the big idea of this series has simply been this, that great marriages, great marriages are built on or require mutual submission. That to have a great marriage, the secret to a great marriage is this idea of mutual submission, which is this idea of, hey, I'm gonna put you before me and no, I'm gonna put you before me and it's two people who put the needs, interests, desires, wishes and wants of the other person before their own. The secret to a great marriage is not what we all think it is. It's not falling in love. Well, as long as I, you know, if I fall in love, then they're the right one. No, no, it's not that. The secret to a great marriage is not being committed, and that you know that's counterintuitive. Commitment's important, but everybody's committed when they start doesn't mean everybody's committed or stays committed to the end. So, the secret to a great marriage is not that. The secret to a great marriage is not finding the right person. We've all heard that. We've all thought that. If I just find the right person, everything's going to work out. If I find the right person, it'll be a, you know like a fairy tale. Everything will just play out fine. We'll live happily together ever after. No, it doesn't work that way. The secret to a great marriage is to become the right kind of person, to become the kind of person who you have the kind of character that you can mutually submit, that you have the kind of character that you can love someone that deeply. And when two people who have both become the right kind of people come together in a marriage, then you can stay in love, happy, together forever, which is what we all ultimately want. And so my goal for this series, and hopefully I've done this, if not, I got one more shot today. My goal for this series has been to inspire you, especially those of you who are not married, to inspire you to prepare, to inspire you not to just count on, well, when I fall in love, it'll all work out and I'll just know and you know, it'll, it'll all fall in place, nope to inspire you to practice, to inspire you to prepare, to inspire you to take this season of your life, and it's true for married, all of us who are married too, but to take this season of your life where we currently are and say, you know what? I'm gonna focus on me. I'm gonna focus on becoming the kind of person I need to be and the better person I am, then the better person I bring to my marriage or the better person I will bring to my future marriage. And the reason preparation, the reason practice is so important is because this is this simple idea is so true promises are no substitute for preparation they never are promises well i you know i promise and i plan to and i intend to and i hope to they are never a substitute for preparation as we talked about promises make you accountable promises make you okay i can expect that out of you now because you promised promises make you accountable promises do not make you capable And when you're accountable for something you're not capable of doing, you end up miserable. Now, if you haven't gotten this up to this point, I thought, you know what, I want to come at this one more time to see if I can help them understand it. And I ran across a great quote by the theologian Ron White. Some of you know who Ron White is. I'm just curious. Yeah, so Ron White, and he's a comedian, his stand-up act on the Blue Collar Comedy Tour, Ron White was talking about when he got arrested for public drunkenness. And this is so brilliant, so brilliant. Here's what he had to say. He said, I had the right to remain silent, but I didn't have the ability to. Some of you can relate. Some of you are like, that actually the very same thing happened to me. Okay, that's a sermon for another day. But this is true in all areas of life. Just because you have the right to do something or just because you have the intention to do something does not mean you have the ability to. This is certainly true when it comes to marriage. It certainly is true. So you got your promises are no substitute for preparation. You need to take this season of your life, and you need to figure out how to prepare, how to practice becoming the right kind of person, okay? So in, in Scripture, when you open up and you begin to look at what all these different writers wrote, because, you know, we call it the Bible, but it's a, a collection of historical documents is what it is, and all, all kinds of different people throughout history wrote it. And when you begin to look at what all they wrote, here's what's so fascinating to me. Not one time in any of those writings did Peter or Paul or Mark or Luke or, you know, Matthew or John or you know, Solomon or David or Moses or any of those people who wrote the, these documents, at no point anywhere in their writings do you find them saying to us, hey, you know what you need to do? You just need to promise more. You just need to commit more. Your problem, the reason you can't follow Jesus, and the reason you don't have great relationships, and the reason your life's not where it should be, is because you're just not committed enough. Now, if you grew up in church, you did hear that probably. When you, you know, looked at your life, or trying to figure things out, or, you, you know, you're like, why can't I? The, the answer you got was, well, you're just not committed enough. That's what you heard in sermons. That's what you heard from you know, Sunday school, wherever you were. It's just like, you got to be more committed. You got to be more committed. You need to have a deeper commitment. No, 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 that is not it. That is nowhere in any of the writings of any of these authors. They did not say commit more or promise more. They said prepare more. They said practice more. You want to follow Jesus better? You want to have a better marriage? You want to, you want, you want. You got to prepare more. You got to practice more. One of the guys who wrote about this a lot was Solomon. You're probably familiar to some extent with King Solomon. He's one of Israel's greatest kings. Solomon wrote three different documents that are all part of the Jewish scriptures we call the Old Testament. He wrote Proverbs, he wrote Ecclesiastes, and he wrote Song of Solomon. Now here's what's so fascinating about Proverbs. Proverbs was, Solomon wrote it to give advice to his sons who were single. Now, here's why he did this. There's a lot of great advice in Proverbs. There's a whole lot of wisdom. A lot of it is relationship advice. And the reason Solomon wrote that is because Solomon had a perspective that nobody else has ever had in the history of the world, probably, when it comes to relationships. Solomon knew a lot about marriage because he was married 700 times and he had 300 other mistresses. I can't even keep one marriage running smooth all the time. Can you imagine? I don't know what he was thinking. But he had all kinds of perspective on this. So he sits down, and he writes this advice to his sons who are single, and he's like, okay, I kind of have been around the uh, block here once or twice with this. There are some things you need to know to avoid some mistakes I've made and to avoid some mistakes that I've seen. And so I just want to read you a couple of these statements, these pieces of advice that Solomon wrote. And then we're going to dive into some stuff that's really practical in terms of how to apply this in your life and in mine. Proverbs chapter 14, Solomon writes this. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Now this word prudent is not a word we use today, it's kind of like an old fashioned word. But let me define for you what prudent means. A prudent person is simply a person who believes all of their life is connected all their life is connected. In other words, a prudent person believes that what I did yesterday is going to impact today and it's going to show up tomorrow. A prudent or a wise person thinks sees all of their life as being connected. And therefore, in any situation when they're about to make a choice, they're not just thinking about, well, how's this going to impact me right now? They're thinking, okay, this is going to show up tomorrow. So what do I need to do to choose wisely? How do I need to act wisely? And what does it look like to be wise in this situation. That's why he says the prudent is, uh, the wisdom of the prudence to give thought to their ways because they're thinking down the road. They're thinking ahead. They're thinking, whoa, this is just bigger than right here and right now. But he says the folly of fools, and he doesn't mean that in an offensive way, but the folly of fools is deception. Now all of us can relate to this because all of us have been a fool like this at some point. Here's what he means by deception. A fool is someone who doesn't think life is connected. And so a fool is someone who in any situation or moment just looks at what's right in front of them and assumes I can do whatever I want now and it will have no impact tomorrow. I can choose whatever I want now and this decision is isolated. This decision is, you know, quarantined. This decision is totally separate from anything else that may happen in my future. In other words, Solomon says a fool deceives themselves. A fool deceives themselves into believing into believing. Life's not connected, into believing. My past isn't going to show up in my future. Now, we all know that's not true. Your past shows up in your future, and it shows up at the most inopportune times. But when you're foolish, you convince or deceive yourself into believing. That's not true. And the reason, and all of us have been here, and all of us have done this, the reason that happens is because we get in the moment, and we decide to follow our heart. And whenever you choose to follow your heart, what you're really choosing to do is ignore any future consequences or repercussions of this decision and just do what I feel like doing right now. And when you begin to follow your heart, you will end up deceiving yourself because your heart is always deceitful. Your heart never looks down the road. It just doesn't work That way, this explains why we talked about this before. This explains why you have so much clarity into the stupidity of your friends, don't you? Like your friends make certain decisions, or your coworkers or roommates, and you're like, "What are they thinking?" Like that's never going to work, and it's so obvious to you that they're just being stupid in what they're doing. But then we'll turn around, we'll turn around, and our heart gets involved. And so we'll end up making some of the same decisions, but we assume we deceive ourselves into believing, well, that's not going to impact me. I know it wouldn't work for them, but you you can, you know, I can predict exactly what's going to happen with them, but it's not going to work or impact me because the folly of fools is always deception. He goes on, he writes this. He says, the simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. The simple believe anything simply means... The simple will believe whatever argument their heart comes up with to convince them they should do what they want to do. Now, your heart has done this to you, hasn't it? So has mine. There's something you want to do so bad and there's so much emotion involved that you actually built a case to convince yourself that what you were doing was not stupid. It was actually the smart thing to do. You built a case to buy that even though you knew you shouldn't buy it because you were going to have to go into debt. You built a case to date him even though everything in you intellectually said not going to work, but you wanted to, so you built a case as to why it would work. All of us tend to do this, and then we believe whatever our heart tells us because we follow our emotions. Solomon says that's how a simple person acts, but the prudent give thought to their steps. And the reason the prudent or the wise person gives thought to their steps is because they understand that direction, not intention, always determines our destination. Now, we know this when it comes to traveling. Nobody would argue that you can just drive any direction you want to drive, and as long as you hope and intend to get to Florida, you'll get there. All right, we, we know that doesn't work that way. But then we get into our life, and we do the exact thing. Well, I know, I know, I know, it's probably not smart, but I think it'll work out if... And we go in certain directions. The whole time we're intending to end up over here, but all of our choices are leading us this way. The whole time we end up wanting to have this kind of marriage, this is my hope, this is my wish, this is my plan, but I'm making choices that in no way are taking me in that direction. I want to end up financially. I want to end up relational. I want to end up vocationally. You know, whatever it is. We have an intention. We have a destination we hope to get to, but it's direction, not intention, that determines our destination. So Solomon says, okay, a wise person, they slow down enough, to realize all of life is connected, and then they give thought to their steps. They give thought to what direction they are going, not just what they hope and plan and wish and dream will happen one day. One more statement. I love this one. In Proverbs 22, he says, The prudent see danger, and they take refuge. But the simple keep going, and they pay the penalty. Now, the reason I love this is because we have all done the second half of this verse. Psalmist is a prudent person, somebody who understands all of life is connected. When they see trouble coming their way, in other words, uh, they've made some choices that are taking them in a direction, and they realize, whoa, there's danger up ahead. If I keep going this way, it's not going to turn out well. If I stay in this relationship, if I keep managing this relationship this way, if I keep making relational choices like this, I'm going to end up in trouble. When a wise person sees that, they hit stop, They turn around, and they go the other direction before the trouble catches up to them. But the simple see the exact same danger, see the exact same trouble. They just keep going. They stick their head in the sand, and they pay the penalty. We have all been here, and we have all done this, haven't we? We had somebody come alongside us. Our mama, our daddy sat us down. Our friend sat us down. And when it comes to relationships, they said, hey, have you thought about, I don't think this is smart, and the choices you're making are, and, you know, they laid out all this case. And we knew deep in our heart. We knew, yep, they're right. Yep, this won't end well. Yep, this is going to be a problem. But, again, we didn't care. We didn't care. So we ignored the danger we saw and assumed, I think I can manage or manipulate or control the outcome here where what's true for everybody else is not true for me. But that simply doesn't work. And so when you begin to read Proverbs, and there's a lot of other relational advice Solomon gave, when you begin to read it, it all centers around this one simple idea. Solomon was teaching us to commit now to become the kind of person who can keep commitments later that your job and my job is whatever season of life we're in, let's commit now, let's make some decisions now because commitments are, are determined by the decisions you make. Let's make some decisions now. They're gonna help me become the kind of person who can keep the commitments I wanna keep and end up where I wanna end up later. Because again, whatever decisions you're making currently in your relationships right now, they are moving you in a direction. When it comes to relationships, there aren't really any such thing it's neutral decisions. Well, I'm going to take that job, and I'm going to you know, end up being away more, but I think we'll be able to manage it. Nope, that's not a neutral decision. It's going to move you in a, in a direction. Hey, I'm going to go ahead and date them. That's not the kind of person I don't want to marry, but I'm going to date them because I think, and it's just fine. You gotta, no, no, no. There's no neutral decision because every decision moves you in a direction, and every direction has a predictable destination. Every decision you make comes prepackaged with an outcome. You can't avoid this, and neither can I. Every decision we make comes prepackaged with a consequence or a benefit because it's going to take you to a predictable place. And so, Solomon says, You got to pay attention. You're going to end up being one of two people. His words you're going to end up being wise, you're going to end up being a fool. The wise person sees all of life is connected direction determines their destination, so they make commitments or decisions now that are going to move them in the direction they want to go. A foolish person just keeps going the way they're going, and they assume they'll be able to avoid the consequences. Every one of us can tell stories about being on both sides of that equation, can't we? And every one of us right now, in some area of our lives, are probably living in each of those camps. So, You've got to evaluate, what are the decisions I'm making? or What are the commitments I'm making right now? And are they taking me the direction I want to go? So here's what I decided to do. For the next few minutes, I want to talk specifically to all of you who are not married. If you're married, a lot of this may apply to your marriage relationship. You can apply it on your own. I want to talk to all of you who are not married. And I want to give you some advice, which is the last thing any single person wants to hear, Right? And I'm going to go try to do this anyway. I know. I was, I was single until I was 32. I got all kinds of advice. So I'm, I'm with you. You hate hearing it. But here's what's happened to me over the years. We've got so many single adults who come to our church that over the years I've had, found myself sitting for coffee or uh, you know, having a conversation after church with a whole lot of single adults who start unpacking for me where they are relationally, and they'll talk to me about, well, this, you know, why did this relationship go bad, and I had this happen, or this happened, and why hasn't this happened? And they get, we get into all of the stuff going on in the relational world and their story. And I just noticed that over time, I kept, I keep saying the same thing. Like, there's, there are pieces of advice that I just keep giving single adults again and again and again. And so I thought, you know what? What these really are, these pieces of advice are commitments that I have seen and observed and experienced. If you'll make these commitments and decisions now, it'll pay off later. If you make these commitments now, you'll be able to become a person that can keep commitments later. And so I just think these are these are big ones. So I'm gonna give you seven big ones, okay? And we're gonna move through these pretty quick. I'm gonna give you seven big ones. And there should be something in here to make everybody mad. So don't feel left out, all right? Some point you're gonna be like, man, he's ridiculous. That's fine, that's fine. You don't have to agree. I'm just giving you some advice. You can take it or leave it. but. These are seven things. I think when you begin to unpack what the writers of Scripture had to say, they address these things, and they talk about how you make these commitments, you make these decisions, it's going to take you in the direction that you want to go. All right? So let me give all of you exactly what you don't want. Some unsolicited advice, and then we'll wrap this up. Here's the first thing. If you're single, you need to focus in this stage of life on getting out of debt. If you have debt, you need to get rid of it. Now, there are a couple reasons why this is true. This may surprise you that I would start here. But this is a big one because there is nothing that creates more pressure and stress in a marriage relationship than financial problems, than a lack of margin financially. Why in the world would you want to go into a marriage one day and open the door and invite in financial pressure from day one? From the minute that you walk out of your wedding, you got financial pressure hanging over your head. Why would you want to do that? When you're single, it is the time to tackle whatever debt you have, consumer debt, you know, credit card debt, student loan debt. You need to tackle that. The other reason this is so important is you don't think of it this way. But if you meet the person you're going to marry, you're basically looking at them and saying, hey, I wanted to give you all of me. I'm going to give you the rest of my life. But <clears throat> there's one little thing over here. You get to inherit my financial mess. What is loving about that? But that's what happens so often. Hey, you're gonna get me, but now I need you to help me clean up my financial mess. Cause I'm gonna drag this mess you had nothing to do with. I'm gonna drag it into our relationship, into our marriage. It's gonna cause all kinds of pressure and stress, and we're gonna have to navigate through it. And even though you did nothing to deserve it, I'm expecting you to help me clean it up. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Now, before I got married, I'm gonna tell you real quickly what I did. I'm not suggesting you do this and I'm really telling on myself and showing that I'm not the kindest guy in the world. But here's what I did. Uh, I I have permission to tell this story. She's told it herself. So when my wife Jen and I uh, met, we dated for a little over a year, and nobody had ever really addressed this with her. Nobody had taught her you know, good, solid financial principles. And so she had a good job, and she was doing fine, but she was doing what most people do. She had credit card debt. She had still owned debt. She had, you know, all kind of, just a lot of little debt here and there. And, and she was in no hurry to deal with that. Like, it wasn't even on her radar. So when we started getting serious and talking about marriage, I looked at her, and I said, we're not getting married until you pay off all your debt. How mean is that? How mean is that? I'm going to go, I didn't tell this in the first service, but I'm going to go ahead and tell on myself because this is the part that really makes me look bad. Uh, I actually said to her, you know what? She was like, oh, I'll I'll pay off the debt. And I said, ah, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to write out a contract and you write out exactly what you plan on doing and sign it. And once you fulfill that contract, we'll get married. That is awful, isn't it? It's awful. (laughs) But she wanted me really badly. So, (laughs) I'm kidding. I don't think that was true. But she did. (laughs) She did pay off that debt really fast, and we got married pretty quick after that. So she nailed it; she knocked it out. Once she had the tools to do it, she knew exactly what to do. But the reason that was such—I may have gone a little overboard—but the reason that was such a big deal to me is because I didn't want us starting our relationship with something hanging over our heads that was going to create financial pressure and tension in our marriage. And so I said, you know what? We're going to start with a clean slate, and no matter how long we have to wait, that's what we're going to do. If you're single, this is the time to get out of debt. And if you're not sure how or you're not, you know, nobody's ever taught you, you got to take a Financial Peace University class that we offer around here. Matter of fact, and this is a little bit of a bold statement, but I really believe this. If you are, are single and you don't go through financial peace now before you get married, you are being foolish. You are. Because you can learn some things right now that you'll be so far ahead of the game by the time you get married. You won't deal with all the junk that all these married people around here have been having to deal with. And some of them are still paying off student loans. They're like a pet. They just hang around forever. You don't have to do any of that. So deal with it. Get out of debt. Okay, that's the first piece of advice. Here's the next one. Stay stay out of bed. We talked about this last week. I don't have to keep harping on this. You came back, by the way. Thank you so much after last week's message. We talked about this last week, that purity paves away the intimacy. The intimacy is fueled by exclusivity. So guard your sexuality. I'm not going to go into that again. You can go watch last week's uh, as many times as you need to to figure it out. But this one is a huge one. It's a huge one. And again, we talked about You don't do this. You don't guard your, your sexuality and your sexual choices. You will damage your ability to experience intimacy in a marriage. Here's the third piece of advice. Clean out your past. Clean out your past. Now, here's what I mean by this. Uh, If you have, and I I mean this seriously, if you have like mommy or daddy issues, you know, there's a rift between you and your mom or you and your dad. Let me explain this. You think that is isolated to your mom or your dad and you. It is not. It will show up in your marriage one day if you don't deal with it. Now, I know you only have so much control over that, You can't control what they do or how they respond. But that is a relationship worth fighting for. That's a relationship worth you figuring out how to offer forgiveness where you need to offer forgiveness and ask for forgiveness where you need to ask for forgiveness. You need to do everything in your power to make that relationship healthy on your end. Because if you don't, and just again, ask married people if you don't believe me. If you don't deal with that, it will show up again with your spouse and in your relationship, and you'll wonder what is going on, and they will eventually figure it out and tell you, you're doing this because of your dad. You're doing this because of your mom, and you will argue and deny it, but it will be true. Here's, an, here's another piece of clean out your past. If you have been in a long-term relationship that ends, or if you have been married before and divorced, here's some advice that isn't very popular, but I'm gonna give it to you anyway you've got to deal with whatever the issues were in you that caused that marriage to end or that relationship to end before you get into another relationship. Now, this is not how it works. I watch this all the time. Somebody gets divorced, somebody ends a long-term relationship, and as fast as they can, they jump into the next relationship. That is a really foolish thing to do. Now, you may be able to dodge the bullet, but very rarely is that true. And the reason it's foolish is because jumping into another relationship Allows you to mask, to ignore, to hide, to fail to confront the issues in your heart that contributed to your last relational breakup. And if you don't deal with what caused this one, guess what happens? It's going to show up in the next one or the next one or the next one. So you got to figure out how to deal with that. You can't just point the finger and blame and say, oh, it's all their fault. you got to look in the mirror. you got to deal with it. you also got to clean up whatever character weaknesses are in you. If you got issues with patience, you got issues with self-control, you got issues with being kind to people who are weak, you got issues with, you know, whatever it is, you need to deal with whatever character weaknesses are in you. Now, here's why I bring this up. Because when you are single, nothing forces you to face your own character weaknesses. You don't have to face them. If somebody makes you impatient, you can just quit hanging out with that person. If somebody ticks you off, you can just tell them to move out and get you another roommate or don't get a roommate at all. Like, You don't have to deal with the stuff going on in you. You can just blame everybody else and avoid them. But that's not going to be an option when you get married. So you need to figure out how to deal with whatever character weaknesses are in you. Now, the other reason this is so important, you may have never thought of this or heard this before, but the other reason this is so important is because oneness and intimacy, which is what we all want when we get married, Oneness and intimacy requires two complete people. Oneness and intimacy requires two complete mature people. It does not require two people who complement each other's character weaknesses. What typically happens is we gravitate and are attracted to people who make up for our weaknesses. Oh, I'm terrible with money. I don't have any self-discipline, but she is great with money. I love that about her, and it's going to work great when we're married because she's going to make up for, you know, oh, I just, you know, I just, I feel so insecure, but he is so secure, and when I'm around him, it makes me feel more secure, and I'm just gonna lean into and, you know, borrow his his security, and it's gonna help me. No, no, no. That is a recipe for disaster. It is. Whenever you hear these statements, and they sound so romantic, and they show up in all the movies. Whenever you hear these statements, I can't live without you. You make me a better person. I couldn't be a better person without you around. Whenever you hear statements like that, they are not romantic. You may, your head may say that's romantic. just No, no, no. That is not romantic. You should not run to that person. You should run away from them as fast as you can. They need to run to a counselor because that's called codependency, okay? That's what that's called. That's codependency. I can't live without you. I'd never make it without you. Ah, red flag. That is, that is not love. That's a red flag. That's called codependency. They need to go see a counselor. You need to run as fast as you can. You got to deal with that kind of thing. Because it takes two complete mature people to experience intimacy and oneness the way you want. You have a codependent relationship with two people who are immature, who are leaning into each other's character strengths and trying to compensate for their own weaknesses. You've got a disaster waiting to happen. Are a couple of psychologists, uh, John Townsend Henry Cloud, who wrote a book called Boundaries in Marriage. It is a great book, whether you're single or married. It's a great book. And they talked about this idea, and they, they probably said it better than I could. I want to read you a quote real quickly. They said, so if one or both are coming to the marriage, asking the marriage to complete them as people, the marriage will break down. It happens every time. Marriage is not meant to be the place where one gets completed as a person, in all due respect to Tom Cruise, it is meant for complete persons to come together and build a we that is bigger and better than either one of the eyes involved. You get two complete mature people coming together in a marriage, you got something special. You got two people with character flaws, two people who are counting on each other to make up for, you know, their character issues, you, you got a mess on your hands, okay? Now, next piece of advice before I give it to you, next piece of advice is for... All of us who are men, okay? Now, ladies, this, this can apply to you, but I want to talk primarily to the men and pick on them because I'm too scared to pick on you ladies, all right? So we're going, we're going with the guys, okay? Men, here's your next piece of advice. Treat women, treat all women with respect. You need to develop this habit when you're single, and it needs to stick with you the rest of your life, that you treat all women with respect. Now, here's what I mean. I mean this in a couple of ways, okay? I mean this in the basic way. I, I uh, Grew up in the country, a lot of you grew up in this area, you know. I mean it in the way that we were taught, where you hold the door open for a lady and you say ladies first, and you know, you you defer to them on things like that. And ladies, just real quickly, if you're if you're a lady who gets offended when a guy holds a door open for you, let me explain something real quickly. We are not holding the door open because we think you're incapable of holding it open. We're holding it open because we think you're valuable. That's what you do for people who are important, okay? So stop chewing us out when we hold the door open and just say thank you. That would help us all. Because we're just trying to show respect and practice that, okay? And we need all the practice we can get. So, so as, a, as a guy, it's important to do that kind of stuff. It's important to develop the habit of every woman you see treating her with respect. It's important to treat every person you date with respect. Because they are not only somebody's daughter, somebody's sister, but they are a daughter and a child of God. So, this will help all of us who are guys. If you're a single guy, this will help you a lot when you're dating to make sure that you are respectful in everything you do. Next time you go to pick her up, and you should go pick her up. Next time you go to pick her up, just imagine that God is sitting at her kitchen table sharpening his lightning bolt saying, You are going to be back by 10, right? That will scare the bejeebers out of you. But it's true. He is watching and he cares about her. And so, every woman. Is deserving of respect. Now, here's the other part about this, and this is the part that'll make some of you mad, and that's, that's okay. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. <clears throat> I don't think so. But maybe I'm wrong. You can send me an email. The, the other part of this is you got to be really careful. If you're a guy, you should pay very careful attention to the media that you choose to consume and engage with and the choices you make in that arena. Because it is very easy, and I see this all the time, it's very easy for us as guys to, and ladies too, the, the opposite way, but it's very easy for us as guys to consume media or engage with media that sends a very disrespectful message about women, that basically communicates that a woman is a commodity. A woman is just an article of trade. A woman is, hey, you be with her, and then but when you got a chance, you trade up. Or you, you, could, you can experience a relationship with her, but hey, it's just physical for you, and don't worry about it, and then you go on. So just to be real practical, if you've got music on your phone that refers, refers to women as whores, and you can fill in the other blanks. We have kids in here. So if you've got, you got music on your phone that refers to women that way, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? There is nothing respectful about that. And you're going, well, it's just music. No, no, it's just, not just music. And all music's not created equal. I don't care what you say. If, if that is a message, if it says something in that song that you wouldn't want said about your daughter or your sister— then you shouldn't be listening to it. I know you spent a lot of money on that music. Delete it anyway. It's not respectful. Same's true for movies or TV shows you watch. Ladies, the same thing is true the opposite direction, by the way, with what you watch, with the stuff you read, whatever the case may be. And one other issue that we've touched on, but it's a big one. If you're engaged in using pornography, and a lot of people are, if you're engaged in using pornography, listen. Science. Forget what the writers of scripture said. Science has proven that pornography changes the way your brain thinks and the way your brain functions and the way your brain views the opposite sex. And pornography—this is science—proves it's proven that pornography damages your ability to experience intimacy. Basically, if you're engaged in pornography, you're saying a real body isn't enough for me, and one body will never be enough for me. So you got to do whatever you got to do to deal with that, because it will wreck your marriage or your future marriage. It will wreck your relationships. And we talk to people all the time who are struggling with that. We're, you know, I, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I know it's a common problem. We help a lot of people walk through that and get free of that, because it's addictive. But you need to get some help. And if it means coming and talking to some of us, come and talk to some of us. We'll be glad to help you. I mean, we're not gonna think less of you. But you gotta address it. If you're not willing to address the fact that you consume porn, and you're in a relationship with someone, you owe them, you owe them to sit down with them and say, I just want you to know that I consume porn, I'm not gonna stop looking at porn, a real body's not enough for me, you should know your body is never gonna be enough for me, and now you can decide what to do. And ladies, if you have a guy tell you that and they're not willing to change, you should run as fast as you can. Don't ever tolerate being treated as if you're a commodity. So guys, and this applies to both, but guys, I want to pick on you. Because you got to figure out, you got to develop a habit to treat all women with respect. And now is the time to develop those kinds of habits. It will pay off in the long run. Now, the next piece of advice I have, if I hadn't made everybody mad, I'll try to do it with this next one. Because the next piece of advice I have is for those of you who are not followers of Jesus. You're not Christians. We have a lot of people who, you know, don't follow or don't believe or aren't sure what they believe who come to our church. We love having you here, okay? And I, I want to give you one piece of advice when it comes to dating, which may surprise you. But if you're not a Christian, don't date a Christian unless you plan to become one. This is so important. If you're not a Christian, you should never date a Christian. You may, you know, you sh- you may be, but you shouldn't unless you plan to become one. And I'll tell you why. Because that person you're dating who is a Christian, no matter what they say, they do not love you just the way they, that you are, and they do not accept you just the way that you are. And I will prove it to you. Where are you sitting right now? They have got your tail in church. You did not plan on that, did you? You were here to make them happy. And the reason you're here to make them happy is because secretly they are praying, their mom is praying, their daddy's praying, everybody's praying, you'll become a Christian. And they don't want to tell you that, but I'm going to tell you, you should know, okay? So if you plan on becoming a Christian, then awesome. You just go, hang on, you know, keep going. It's going to be fine. If you don't plan on becoming a Christian, it will become a big issue. So you got to think about that. And if you're dating somebody who's a Christian and you're sleeping with them, now you're with a hypocrite and you hate hypocrites. You'd be better off to marry or to date an honest atheist than you would a Christian who's that hypocritical. So now everybody's mad about something, okay? But I'm just being straight with you. They don't want you to stay the way you are. You should have a conversation about that. Now I'll go to something a little less controversial. Here's the next one. Get involved in church. If you're a single adult, You should get involved here in church. Now, this is not for my benefit. Let me tell you why. Because this season of your life, when you are single, is not a waiting season. You are not on hold. You are not just doing circles. You are not just passing time until the right person comes along and your life can really take off and be married. That is not the way it works. You are in an incredible season of your life. You do not need to be married to be complete as a person. You do not need to be married for God to use you in some extraordinary ways. In a lot of ways, the single season of your life, God may use to help you make a bigger impact for his kingdom for people than any other season of your life because of the time and flexibility you have. So you ought to get involved. Don't waste this season just waiting for the next one that you want to get here. Get involved, invite your friends here, serve here in different ways, you know, plug in somehow, get in a small group, give, do the things that God can use to make an impact through you. And in the process, here's the benefit. In the process, when you do those things, it helps you become the right kind of person. And when you are in the right places, odds go up significantly that you will meet the right person. I met my wife in a small group, it's why I love groups, okay, so anyway. That's that, last piece of advice. Take a year off from dating. Take a year off from dating. Now here's who this advice is for. If you've listened throughout this series or you know, today if it's your first time, and you've thought, oh man, I'm messing that up. I've screwed that up. I've, I wish I would have done that. Like if you've got habits and patterns in your life that are not healthy, the very best thing you could do is pull out your phone today Go to your calendar, go to one year from today, and make a note, I'll start dating now, and take an entire year off from dating. I've given this advice to a lot of single adults. The reaction is always the same. Are you kidding me? That's the reaction. And I'm like, no, I'm not kidding you. I'm serious. But the minute I do that, somebody's going to come along, to which I say, "If if somebody amazing comes along and you try to date them, Right now, you're going to wreck the relationship because you don't bring a healthy you to the relationship. The very best thing, and honestly, the only way for you to address some of the issues you have developed, some of the habits you've developed, is to take a year off and not let the emotions of dating cloud you or distract you, to take a year off and to focus on letting God change your heart, letting God grow your character, and letting God develop some healthy habits in you. So when you start dating again, you start with a better you. If you've been sexually involved in relationships, I'm telling you, if that's been your pattern in the past, you got to take a year off to address that, or you will fall right back into the trap. This, I've seen this happen over and over again. And every single, single adult, by the way, that I have ever given this advice to one-on-one, a year later has sent me a message and said, that was really hard, but that is the best thing I have ever done for myself. Best thing I've ever done for my relationship with God. So some of you, you need to take this advice. And you need to take this advice because you want a stay in love, happy together forever kind of marriage. But as I said at the beginning, I'll say it again. You have to commit now. You have to make decisions now to become the kind of person who can keep commitments later. And that takes stepping back and creating some space for God to do what God wants to do in you and help you become that kind of person. So, as we wrap up, here's what I wanna encourage you to do. If you've been tracking with us through this series and as we've gone through, or maybe today as we've gone through, you have felt God's spirit tapping on your heart. You know how that happens? Pointing out an area saying, whoa, you should pay attention to this. Whoa, you you need to deal with that. You need to address that. You need to change that. Here's what I want you to do as we close. I wanna invite you to acknowledge that to God. Because we all try to avoid that. oh no, no, I don't need to. No, no. You need to acknowledge that to God. You need to acknowledge to God, I hear you and I agree. That needs to change. I hear you and I agree. I got to deal with my debt because I, financially I don't have any self-discipline. I hear you and I agree. I got to deal with the sexual choices I've been making. I hear you and I agree. I've got to change this. I've got to work on this. And then ask him to give you the power to change. Let him know. I'm willing to make the commitments now if you'll help me become the kind of person who can keep commitments later. And the result will be, you will become the right kind of person who finds the right kind of person, and you'll stay in love happy together forever, one day. Let me pray for us. Father, would you give us the wisdom to know where you're tapping on our heart. Those of us who are married, who you've been tapping on our heart, we didn't even expect it in this series, and you've been tapping, saying, oh, you got an issue there. Hey, there's danger coming here. Give us the wisdom to see that, to acknowledge that. Give us the courage and the boldness to do something about it. For these single adults, God, we want them to experience just like you do. An extraordinary marriage one day that's built on intimacy and the deep kind of love that only you can help us to demonstrate. So would you give them the wisdom to see the areas of their life that they need to pay attention to now? The areas where they need to make changes, the areas where they need to look in the mirror and own some things. And then would you give them the courage and the boldness to do what they need to do now to change and to grow? Because it is so hard, but it is so worth it.